All right, 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we are in God's Word this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip there. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13, and we're going all the way through to verse 25. That's where we find ourselves. We've been going through uh, this awesome, awesome book together, just verse by verse by verse through this, this letter. And if you don't have a Bible of your very own, grab one of these in the seat and uh, bring that home for you. It's, it's our gift to you. But again, we're, we're walking through this letter throughout the, the course of the summer. It's a letter from the Apostle Peter to Christians who have been scattered uh, all over Asia Minor through some very heavy persecution that has come upon them. And, and God, through Peter, is instructing them and giving them great hope. And God, through Peter and his Holy Spirit, is instructing us and also giving us hope that we can have a hope that is anchored in what God has done for us through Christ. And so last week we saw that because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection for sin and the salvation that he has provided for us, because of this, we have this new identity, that our identity is not in our career, our identity is not in a relationship, our identity is not in our neighborhood or our town or our cause or our pay grade or whatever it is that people find identity in, that our identity is in Jesus and his kingdom and his family. And Peter, we saw last week, uses all kinds of language to describe this identity. He says that your life is built upon Jesus. He is your your cornerstone, that everything rests on him. We see that he is our high priest and we are a royal priesthood. We saw that he is the king and that we are a, a holy nation. But you get the point, right? Our identity is in Jesus. Now, when we live this way on the earth, we start to look a little bit different. And so in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter calls us to be sojourners and exiles. What that means is that this place that we live in is not our home. It's not our final destination. We're, we're, we're passing through. And while we're here, our conduct is to be honorable, not so that we can earn God's favor because he loves us and gives us favor and, and grace unconditionally, but because we want to honor him and we want to represent him well. And so verse 12 says that, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and they will glorify your God. And so that's why we seek to represent him well, I had this hallmate in college, and his name was Dammy, which is a funny name, but that was his name. And uh, it was short for something that I probably couldn't say anyhow, so Dammy worked. And his father was a U.S. ambassador to uh, the Caribbean. And ambassadors are U.S. citizens under a direct appointment from the president in uh, a foreign land. And similarly, we are ambassadors under appointment from King Jesus, and we're here to represent him well in this foreign land. And, and though we live here, we are sojourners. We are exiles, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in his coming kingdom that has begun in our hearts. And, and, and the purpose of our relationships in this land is that we work and we play and we neighbor and we family in such a way that we are representing our king well. We are his ambassadors, right? We want to proclaim our Lord and we want to call people into that same identity, call people into that same kingdom. And so we are his ambassadors, that he is our identity and he is also our mission. He's our identity and he's our mission focus. And so I want to make sure that we get that our identity and our mission are really intertwined together. And so that brings us to today's scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 15. Let's read it together. 
It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are not free or who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so, coming off of looking at our identity, Jesus, and coming off of the mission, proclaiming Jesus' excellencies so that others may glorify him, coming off of all of that, we now get into submission to authority. Because our, our submission to authority is opportunity for every single one of us to bring glory to the Lord. That's why, if you look at verse 13, it says, be subject For the Lord's sake. And I know that submission to authority is your favorite topic to to talk about. I know that you came to church thinking, man, I would love to talk about submission. That would just really bless me. I know it's our favorite thing to talk about. I'm sure you have spent countless hours already in your own personal study digging into the scriptures and saying, how can I glorify God by submitting to authority, right? I'm I'm sure you've already done that. Probably not. But if, if we want to to glorify God while living on this land as exiles and sojourners. We have to address this because no matter who you are and no matter where you live, you will have authority in your life. And so whether it's first century Asia Minor under a corrupt, brutal emperor or it's here today in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, we will all have authority in our lives. Now, This doesn't just apply to emperors and to kings, as he mentions here, because he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so he does, of course, mention emperor and governors, the the government, right, as he says, who punish evil and bless those who are law-abiding. But it also applies to, for us today, our president, our our congressmen, our our governors, our, our mayor. But we are to, uh, we're told to subject ourselves, not just to them, but to every human institution. So we start by asking ourselves, what are those institutions, those human institutions in our own lives? It's political leaders, yes. It's authorities at home, perhaps. It's, it's professors or department heads. It's your boss. It's your supervisor. It's your, your RA. Whatever your situation is, we are called to be subject to them. It's a military term that we are to line up under uh, authority here. Now, Let's be clear that if they call us to act contrary to God's word, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bank upon the highest authority that is God, and we respectfully say no. Much like Daniel, you know the story of Daniel. Some of you, he prayed, it was his custom three times every day, and even after, by some quercing from some other men who didn't like him, the emperor set out this decree that no one could pray to anybody except to him. And Daniel said, not stopping, so he continued, and he faces the consequences. He's thrown into a pit of lions. You know the story. God spares his life. And that passage is proven true even before today's passage was was written. And this isn't really unlike what's happening for these people here in this letter that we're looking at in Asia Minor 600 years later. Peter wasn't telling them 
to honor the emperor because the emperor was a Democrat and so was Peter. He wasn't telling them to honor the emperor because the emperor was a Republican or a Libertarian and so was Peter. No, there's no way that, that Peter was a supporter of the emperor at this time. He wasn't writing this kind of partisan Fox News report. They are under the rule of the infamous Roman emperor named Nero. Yet, Peter says, I want you to honor him. I want you to honor the emperor. See, Rome had been in existence for about 300 years at this time. It began as a republic. It had this balance of power. It had the Senate and and things of that nature. And and then just before Christ was born, there was this man named Julius Caesar. You've heard of him? Julius Caesar declares, I'm going to be Roman emperor. He declares that he's above the Senate. He declares that he has greater power. He was a great politician. He won the, 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 the favor of the people. And then when Julius Caesar died, the, the people claimed that they saw a star that ascended up into heaven. And so now because they said they saw that, they now say he's a deity. Julius Caesar is, is a god. And so when his successor his adoptive son, Caesar Augustus, who's the one who was in, in charge, who was reigning when Jesus was born. He's this adopted son of Julius Caesar. People naturally say, well, then he's the son of God because he was adopted from Julius Caesar. And so he went around proclaiming that he was the son of God and people would carry these banners and even say these chants that would say something like this. There is no other name under the heavens whereby men can be saved other than Caesar. Does that sound familiar to you? So what happens when a group of people rise up out of Jerusalem and out of Judea and they start saying, we are worshiping the true son of God. And then when this young guy, Peter, stands before this council in Acts chapter 4 and he says, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And his name is Jesus. He uses this political line, and Rome is inflamed at this point. Now, five Caesars later, we have the Emperor Nero still hating Christians, still inflamed at Christians. And he was an absolute tyrant. He's known for murdering his mother, He poisoned his stepbrother, Britannicus. Nero was a tyrant. And he, 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 uh, it's believed that he wanted to, to further weaken the, the Senate and to clear out paths for him to have this building project in Rome. And so it's believed that he started the fire in Rome, the great fire in AD 64. And in order to cover his tracks, he puts together this conspiracy theory that the Christians did it. They hate us. The Christians did it. Now, he was later found out that he did it. He was an enemy of the state, and he committed suicide. But for the time, he, he, he really blamed it on the Christians, and he launched this full-on persecution of the Christians. And there was all kinds of various ways that you could persecute Christians. Of course, there was crucifixion. Of course, there was beheading. But he wanted to be unique and make it his own. And so one of the things that Nero did is he invented his own trademark executions. And so for Christians, he was known for covering them with tar and putting them on stakes and lighting them ablaze as human torches to light up his courtyard while he had parties at night. 
He would also wrap Christians in animal skins, send them running, and send dogs after them and wait till they die as the dogs de- devoured them. It was absolutely horrifying. The, the, the 70 close disciples of Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, probably most of them died under Nero. The Apostle Paul himself was executed under Nero. Peter executed under Nero. And this is the emperor that Peter's talking about when he says, honor the emperor. This is the environment that Christians were living in. And you think it's hard today to be a Christian in in America? It makes our little Facebook rants about religious liberty seem like a whiny rich kid saying, I'm starving. It just sounds goofy. You don't know what starving is. You have got it made. And Peter says, you are a sojourner. You're an exile in this land. This place is not your home. Be subject to the emperor. Be subject to the governor and all human institutions. And if they can do it, the recipients of this letter, we certainly can do it. And why do we do it? Verse 15. For this is the will of God. This is what God wants for you. God is not caught off guard by these events that take place in history. No, God is in complete control. Their leadership didn't make any sense to those people to have Emperor Nero. But it did to God, didn't it? And, and, and even to us, it, it starts to make sense. Okay, I see what God did because their, their persecution was unfathomable, yet it birthed the explosion of the Christian movement because it forced them to scatter. And the Christian movement blew up at a rate that we have never seen again throughout history. It didn't make any sense to them. It made a lot of sense to God. It wasn't fair for them. But God says, I understand what's going on. And it makes sense to us today. Romans chapter 13, 1 says this. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And so God is sovereign. God is in control over the institutions and the authorities in your life. It's the will of God. Everything has to come by God. And so trust God and honor the emperor. And honor your boss. And honor your professor. And honor your department head. And honor your your supervisor. Honor the leader's in your life because in God's mysterious will, though it makes no sense to us at times, he has them there. And so when you submit, you're honoring the Lord. This is huge. I want you to catch this. This is very huge. Listen, submission is about honoring God, not about the authority's worthiness of honor. Submission is all about honoring God, Not about this person is even worthy of you honoring them. You should honor the authority. In fact, as we read, it says you should honor everyone. Verse 17 says honor everyone. Because you know what? Everybody is made in the image of God. They might do crazy, stupid, dumb, irrational, mean-spirited things. But they're made in the image of God. Everybody's made in the image of God. Of God, And you know what? Truth is, we probably do stupid, crazy, irrational, mean-spirited things at times as well. We have to know we're to honor everybody because no one is where they are except by God allowing them, not necessarily causing the evil, but at least allowing things 
to take place. There is no authority except from God. And so honor them. And he actually says, do good towards them. Do good deeds towards them. And and when you do these things, when you honor and you do good deeds to them, there there are two things that happen. I want to give these to you. The first thing is when you honor everyone, you silence ignorance. You you silence ignorance. Now, uh, this is not a political jab by Peter. This is not like his version of a Facebook rant, right? It's not like the guy who you know, goes online and bashes the president in the name of his Christian faith and then says, and yet I'm going to submit to him because God tells me to. You just did two contrary stupid things, right? No, Peter's not making a little jab here. He's not bashing the emperor. He, he's simply saying there are people who are ignorant to the truth of Jesus. It's not a cut down. They just don't understand. They don't fathom. They don't get the, the, the message and the hope and the love of Jesus. But as you love them well and you treat them well and you sincerely, sincerely pursue their, their good, Peter says that as you do that, God often uses it to soften their heart. Did your mama ever tell you, kill them with kindness? Mine did all the time, right? Kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. I watch my two little boys now. They're just like two years apart, not even. And these guys like fight like it's their job. They're professional at it. And they just go at it. And, and they've, they've learned all the tricks. You know, they know how to like start laughing and smiling when the other one's mean because they know how it just gets up under their, their skin, right? That's not what he's telling us. He's saying, pursue them, love them, pray for your enemies, right? Care for them. And that's going to have to take some supernatural work in our lives, right? That is hard. But it's kind of like coffee. You know what I mean? Like, you don't like it at first, but the more you do it, you're like, man, this is good. All right. Now, you know, like, I love you, Dunkin' Donuts, right? That's what we got to do. You, you pray for people even when you don't want to pray for them. And God uses that to start to turn your heart to you genuine, genuinely really want the best for them. So even when you're mistreated, you do good. I think about Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. God says to the people in the Old Testament, they're exiled in Babylon. And they're, they're in Babylon. It's not a good situation. But what does he say to them? Famous passage. He says, I want you to seek the what? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. There's so much wrapped into that. But while you're there... Don't cross your arms and pout and say, man, this stinks. I hate my job. I hate this place. I want to get out of here. No, be about the good of the place that you're in and the leaders that you're surrounded by. Pray for that place. And as you pursue good for those people, good's going to come out of it for you. First of all, just your attitude's going to change. Your outlook's going to change. And you're going to be full of joy. So even when you're mistreated, do good. Pursue their welfare. Why? He says, because I sent you there. I think it was an accident. This is under my sovereign will, as we read in Romans. I, I sent you there. I'm, I'm in control. I'm never not in control, right, God says. He says, I want to use you, as Peter says, to, to shut the mouth of the ignorant. People just, they're saying things, but they don't have the hope of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus in them. So you're going to be used as you do good towards them to shut the mouth of the ignorance, and you're going to have the opportunity to proclaim my excellencies, as we saw last week, right? And you'll see hearts turn to God, as we see as you look countless times throughout the Scriptures, like Daniel in the lion's den, and he did good 
towards the emperor. He, he honored the emperor, but there was a time where he had to respectfully say, no, I'm going to have to engage in civil disobedience. He got thrown into the den of lions. Well, what happens? Darius issues a decree that everybody should fear Daniel's God because something's up there. So Darius and Daniel talked about Peter going before the council. He stands before the council, and after he speaks and proclaims the truth, what does it say? It says they are astonished at this boy who's a fisherman, unschooled, uneducated, at the message he's saying. They were just astonished at that. Paul, he's in jail. He wasn't folding his arms. What was he doing? He was sharing Jesus. He was singing praises. He was praying. And who comes to faith? The jailer, right? The person who was directly over him in authority. These Christians in Asia Minor who are receiving this letter that we're looking at, the faith just exploded because they didn't pout, but because they said, we're here, we're going to take Peter's counsel here, God the Holy Spirit's counsel, and we're going to live in such a way where we're pursuing the welfare of wherever it is that we are in Asia Minor. And it can happen with you. And here's the point where perhaps many of you are thinking about your situation saying, ain't happening. That is not, you do not know my boss. You do not know my neighbor. You do not know my husband. You have no idea. But it can happen. Because God is in control and God is good. I mean, it looked bleak for Paul when he was in prison, huh? It looked really bleak. Then there was an earthquake. (laughs) God can do anything. Anything. So you feel like as you're staring at your boss, you're staring at the, the mouth of a lion. And think about Daniel, and it can, be, it can be shut. Not every time, but from time to time, it's up to God. I hear stories all the time about people saying, they were so hostile to me, but I was bold, and I was faithful, and I was honoring to that person, and God did something cool. We have a guy in our church family. He's a PhD student. He's a, a researcher. He's making a lot of great headway with uh, some diseases that he's working on. And he had this, this professor seeking to just completely humiliate him before his colleagues. Just completely humiliate him. Stand up if you love Jesus. Stands up all by himself. Just humiliates him. But he continued to honor the professor. And now there's this mutual respect starting to float around in the science department for this guy. Because he stood up, he was bold, and he was honoring. He didn't start to bash the guy and talk about him behind his back. Man, that was a jerky move. No, he just honored the guy, and God is using it to start to tear down walls and to turn negative views on Christians. Oh, they're just ignorant. They can't be in science and also believe that God is is creator, and he's doing a good work. So let me ask you this. Who can you honor this week? Let's not just let it hit us and say, oh, that's great. Maybe I'll honor somebody someday. Now, who can you honor this week? Who should you honor this week? Not because they deserve it, but because you want to honor God who is in control and because you want to minister to that person. No matter how bad they are, they bear the image of God. So who can you honor this week? Is it a boss? Is it a supervisor? Is it a shift? Is it a neighbor? Is it a friend? Is it a family member? Who can you honor this week? We've got to honor them. Because ultimately it's honoring God. The second thing that you're going to do when you honor the authorities in your life is, is this. Is you're going to display your security in Christ. 
when you honor everyone, you display your security in Christ. Peter uh, uses his words leading up to this to declare our identity in Christ, right? We've talked about this. He says, you are, here's who you are in Christ. He has chosen you. You have this eternal inheritance that's waiting for you that God himself is standing guard over. Jesus is your foundation. Regardless of your circumstances, he is not shaken. You can stand firm. He says, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a a holy nation. You're a people for his possession. You're a spiritual house. You're, You're a family. You have placed faith in Christ alone, and so this is who you are. This is your identity. And so you do not need other people to tell you who you are for you to find your worth. God tells you your worth. Do you get that? God tells you who you are. God tells you who you are. You ever seen the show um, Undercover Boss? You ever seen that? It's one of those shows that, yeah, for me it's, eh. But, you know, Friday nights and I'm, Tired and there's nothing on. Okay, maybe I'll just watch some undercover boss right now. And uh, it's a cool concept, though, for those of you who've seen the, the, the show. They take the, the CEO of, of big companies and they put them in the bottom level minimum wage jobs in the company undercover. So undercover boss. And, and the show was actually just up here in Westboro, Mass, uh, recently doing a, a show about Sky Zone, the trampoline park, and the CEO was here, and uh, they, they, they showed up and did something, and, and so they have the, the CEOs, you know, if it's a man, not shave for, you know, a long time and grow out a beard. If it's a woman, okay, don't do your, your makeup or give them a, a wig or to make them look different or, or keep their hair messy, uh, dress in street clothes and go undercover. And so these CEOs or these owners of these businesses will, will come in and go undercover. And so I, I've seen like Subway, you know, the, the, the restaurant Subway, the, the owner of the Chicago Cubs, 7-Eleven, Sky Zone, Mack Trucks, the mayor of Cincinnati went down and worked with the, the trash workers, and they take the bottom level jobs in, in the country, and, and they, they uncover good and bad employees, and, and they usually will, at the end of the show, reward the good employees, and so they reveal their identity and say, I'm going to give you a scholarship to college, or I'm going to pay for that surgery, that that you needed. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. Now, I was thinking about this show this week, and I was thinking about how the, the, the CEOs, when, they, when they're kind of posing as, as lower-level employees, and, and they're treated pretty poorly at times by the, the lower-level supervisors and, and managers, if you watch this, you notice that the CEOs usually don't get enraged by it. Like, how dare you treat me like that? Do you know who I am? They don't get upset by it. They don't puff up their chest. They don't fight. They don't swell up in, in pride and get, or, you know, or even get emotionally crushed. Well, how, how could they talk about me like that? Why is that? It's because they're the CEO. Because they're the owner. They're not threatened by these people. And though they're mistreated while they're working these lower level jobs, their position in the company is not threatened. Do you get that? Do you see that in your faith? that you're going to be mistreated. Yes. That's why Peter says later, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. I mean, so many people watch TV preachers who say, man, if you just trust God, he's going to bless you. Life is going to be easy. That's not what the Bible says. It says don't be surprised when life gets rough and the fiery trial is upon you. Tribulation will come upon you. It's going to be Hard. And some of you, you're in it right now, and you're like, man, it is, it is hard. Sometimes it's, it's, it's hard 
because of your faith. Sometimes you're just mistreated, specifically pointed out because of your faith, like our friend. And sometimes you're mistreated just because humans mistreat humans, (laughs) because we're human and sin has seeped deep into the heart of humanity. And yes, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Be about making peace. And Genesis says we are made in the image of God, male and female. And so we are to pursue justice. We are to pursue peace. We are to pursue human dignity. We are to pursue equality. But at the same time, understand that even still, people are going to be mistreated. You are going to be mistreated, but it does not have to crush you. It doesn't have to crush you. Because you don't let people tell you who you are. You let the Lord tell you who you are. Don't let those people, you know who those people are in your life, the boss, the prof, the family member, the spouse. Don't let them crush your spirit. God has chosen you. What else matters? It doesn't matter what they think. You might not be the choice of the world, but if you're a Christian and you place faith in Jesus, you are the choice of God. And so honor those people even when they mistreat you because when you honor everyone you display your security in christ i'm secure it's okay look at what peter says in in verse 16 he says live as people who are free he says live as people who are free You're, you're free from the endless rat race you know the rat race where you're just jockeying per for position that's just how we that's how we roll in our world it's it's pretty stupid right trying to one up each other and How dare they say that about me? I'm going to come back around. It's just this rat race. Your job doesn't define you and whatever your position is in your job. You are free from being beat down by words. So what they say doesn't define you. You're free, he says. Live like you are free. Honor everyone. Love the, the brotherhood, your Christian family. Fear God. And, oh, yes, be, be free even to honor the emperor. And then what he does is he gives us two examples, really extreme examples here. First is slavery, and then he gives us Jesus. Let's look at slavery real quick. Verses 18 through 20, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, that's kind of easy, right, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So he's talking about slaves here. And now know this, that the Bible just completely obliterates slavery. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, that's race. There's neither slave nor free, so slavery no more, right? There's neither male nor, nor female. You are all one because of Christ Jesus. In the book of Philemon, it really also obliterates slavery. And, and Paul writes Philemon, and he says, Philemon, I want you to welcome back your, your former slave no longer as a slave, He shouldn't be fearful when he comes back, but welcome him back as a beloved brother. And so the Bible makes it really clear. Slavery is not okay, right? We are one in Christ. We are made families. 
But what it doesn't tell slaves who are born into slavery or who enter into slavery as an indentured servant, it, it doesn't tell them, just run. Run from your, your masters. Instead, if you, if you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it tells us this. It says, live as you are called. So let me read this for you real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, 20 through 24. Just, just listen to this. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. But he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave to Christ. Love that poetry there. You were bought with the price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So live as you were called. In other words, don't run from the situation that you were in when you became a Christian. So in the preceding verses, he even talks about um, wives, for example. He says, okay, if, you, if you're married and, ladies, you become a Christian, and the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, so you should, if you're dating somebody right now and you're a believer, you should be dating only a believer because you shouldn't be looking to enter into a marriage with somebody who's not a believer. But he says, if you're married and then you become a Christian, live in the condition that you were called. You came to faith in that marriage relationship. You stay in that and you honor them. You don't leave the marriage in order to go be with another Christian. You stay in it and you honor that person. And perhaps God will use you honoring that person and your good deeds towards that person to show them the life change that comes in your life because of Jesus. And maybe they can see it in their own lives. Similarly, he says here, he says, slaves, you're, you're, you're in slavery, but you are free in Christ. He says, you need to know that you are free in Christ. And so Peter uses this extreme circumstance to say, listen, you can be free. You can be free no matter what the circumstance, no matter how bad your boss is, no matter how bad your spouse is, no matter how, no matter how rough your, your situation is in your, in your neighborhood or in your workplace, you can be free. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Of course, he says, by all means, if you can get out, get out. What he's speaking to is the fact that he's talking about indentured servants here who are in servitude because of debt and they're paying back a debt. He says, if you can pay back that debt and get out of there, awesome. But stay in the condition that you were called and trust God and perhaps your obedience and your honoring to the person that you're subject to will be used of God to turn their hearts to God. Remain in the condition in which you were called. And so Peter says back in verse 19, he says, when you suffer, be mindful of God when you suffer unjustly. What what does he mean by that? What is he speaking about? Be mindful of of God. He's speaking about the ultimate example of Jesus. He's saying when you suffer, think about Jesus. That's why he goes on. Look at 21 through 25. He says this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So he closes with Jesus. And he says, to this you were called. To what? To suffer. He says, you will suffer. But remember, Christ suffered for you. And so you can suffer for him. In fact, he set for you an example. And in his suffering, he did not sin. How many of us in our suffering this week, we sin? Against our bad boss, we sin. Against a spouse, we sin. Against a neighbor, we, we sin. He did not sin. It says he was not deceitful or conniving and trying to figure out how he can get them back. It says when he was mocked, he did not mock in return. He didn't turn around and start slandering people because they slandered him. When he suffered, he did not threaten and say, I'm gonna, you don't even know what I can do to you right now, right? I'm God. Zap. He didn't do that, right? He was certainly a threat. But what does it say that he did? He entrusted justice to the judge. He entrusted justice to the Father. Now you could take justice into your own hands. How many of us try to do that? Let me show him. Let me make this right. Or you can trust it to the Father who judges rightly. So you don't have to judge. You don't have to critique. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to slander. You don't have to mock back. You don't have to be deceitful or conniving. So Christians, is this descriptive of how you endure mistreatment? Is it? Let it be. Why? Because of the example of our Lord. Because of the example of Jesus. We do these things, why? Because of Jesus. And then he says, here's how you live. And he says, why? Because of Jesus. It's just this pattern throughout the book. Do this because of Jesus. This is who you are because of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And finally, he says, when we were wandering from God, we were rebelling against him. Verse 24, what does Jesus do for us? He says, he himself bore our sins on his body, on the, the tree, the cross. We might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He says, so you sinned against God. But God became a man, Jesus. And so he knows your mistreatment in a very personal way. We don't have this distant, far-off God who cannot relate with us. He relates with you. He knows your pain. But you have Christ in you. And he knows it. And he can be intimate with you. He knows your struggle. He knows your heartache. He knows your mistreatment. And he died for you. Paying the price for your sin. And by his wounds upon the cross as your substitution, his life for your life, your death for his death, you can be healed. And so today, I would call every single one of us in this room, if you have not trusted in Jesus, to place faith in Jesus and be free. Be free from these stupid patterns of the world. Jockeying for position being anxious all the time and hoping, wondering and worrying and stressed out. You can be free and say, my God is in control. I don't play those games anymore. You can be free and trust completely in Jesus. And not even be burdened by the sin pattern that you struggle with, but you can give it all to him and he's in control. I'd call you to that today. If you want to trust in Jesus, the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name will be saved. It doesn't mean that you just say Jesus and boom, there you go. 
It's not magic words. It's the condition of your heart where you really genuinely are calling out to him and saying, I need you. I trust you. I'm turning from being the Lord of my own life, and I'm turning to you. And you are saved, it says. You're made right with God. You're a Christian. And some of you need to do that as we pray. And for Christians in the room, let's represent him well. Let's have this be a time of just rallying and preparing to gather and then scatter so that we can go represent him well, even when we're mistreated. Because you know what? We're secure in Christ. So we're going to honor all people. Because ultimately we're honoring the Lord who is sovereign over the people that are in our lives. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for just how relevant it is in our lives. It's amazing how we can read your scriptures and it applies to each of us in our unique situations in life. And God, I want to start by lifting up my brothers and sisters, church family, Christians. May we represent you well as we scatter and leave from this place. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for the new birth that you've given us, the new life, the new citizenship that you've given us in Jesus. God, I pray that everything would flow out of that identity, that we are yours, that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory, so we don't have to play these games. Even when we're mistreated, we can trust you. We can rest in our security in you and we can honor people and we can do good towards people even when we don't think they deserve it. Because we know that as we love people, we're loving you. That even when we do to the least of these, we do unto you. So encourage the hearts of believers in this room who are struggling in various circumstances. God, I pray too for those who don't know Jesus yet never given their hearts over to him. May they hear of what you have done by becoming a man and dying on the cross, living in this craziness for us, and then dying the death that you didn't deserve, that we deserve, and you died it in our place. May they hear about that and trust in you and say, yes, I'll take that gift. They'd be made new creatures given the new identity themselves and be free and commit them to you, Father. Lord, thank you for the morning we've had together. Be glorified as we continue in worship in Jesus' name. Amen.